We're in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and we're still at the front end. We're uh, just a week in to starting this new series. It's page 995 in in your Bibles. Or you could follow it through uh, your little scripture journal. So everyone should have one of these. um, A fancy Liberty pencil. So Ruthie was sharpening these this morning, so she, she was quite kind of... Um, eager with some of them, so some of them might be quite short, others might be the normal size, but uh, this is a gift from, from me to you on the proviso that you read it and you use it, and if you flick it open, these are wonderful, there's a whole series of these, um, certainly for the, for the whole of the New Testament, I think for some of the Old Testament as well, and uh, they go book by book or kind of collection by collection, so we said last week that First and Second Timothy and Titus are kind of grouped together in what's called the pastoral epistles, so they're often grouped together. So um, the ESV, uh, the guys who write the ESV, uh, have, have grouped this one together. And what they've done is each page has got its own kind of page for notes at the side and wide margins intentionally. So as you're reading through it, you can journal through it and you can kind of write really what you feel God has shown you as, uh, as Holy Spirit kind of illuminates the way to you as you're working through it and studying it. So I'd really encourage you just to bring these each week. But more than that, what would be great is if you could take this away and just kind of soak in this letter over the next few weeks as we journey through it. Really soak it through. Spend time meditating on it. Go through it slowly. We've got limited time on a Sunday morning. We've got 35 minutes or so um, to really home in. But what would be great is if you could take this away. And maybe with the, the people that you're living with in your home, if you could just find 10, 15 minutes each week just to kind of come together and just share with each other what you've learned, what God's been showing you as you've been going through. So um, please take them. If you're not going to use it, just be really honest and leave it. That's fine. Uh, someone else will take it. Um, but I'd love it if you could all take one and, um, and see if you can remember to bring it back back next week. Um, I'm going to read anyway our passage this morning. It's very, very brief. It's two verses. We're starting in chapter two and we're just covering verse one and two. And then I'll pray and then we'll jump in. 2 Timothy chapter 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Let's pray. (coughs) Heavenly Father, we recognize this morning that all scripture is breathed out by you. And it's useful for us. So even just within two verses this morning, we know that you are going to speak to us. Give us ears that are ready to hear. Give us hearts that are ready to, to respond. Give us, give us bodies and lives that are ready to really put into action what you are called on us to this morning. We need you for that. And so we ask that your Holy Spirit would fill us, would work in us, would do a job this morning to draw us towards the beauty of Jesus. And as he does that, would he encourage us towards action? My prayer this morning is that as our faith grows, that we will be encouraged towards works. Works in response to your grace. Not because we have to, but because we get to. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a gracious God. We thank you that you, uh, as we sung this morning, delight in those that you have saved. We thank you that you've poured out your grace on us and you continue to pour out your grace. Father, we pray all of these things in, in a deep desire that you will be glorified. 
that you would be exalted in our hearts and in this community. Father, we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. To Timothy, we're taking a few weeks to to uh, walk through this book together with our, our, um, our brothers and sisters at Cornerstone Liverpool and Cornerstone Wirral. And just to kind of recap where we were last week, we, we went through uh, the whole of chapter one and we really saw that, that Timothy was a, a, a youngish pastor who's sent by the Apostle Paul to a city called Ephesus. He's, he's helping out with some particular issues in uh, the church in Ephesus. And we saw last week that particularly He's, he's sent there to deal with false teachers. There's, there's a prevalence of, of men who are kind of filtering into the church and are trying to dilute the gospel, trying to dilute the, the pure truth that, that, that Paul has left this church with. We saw in chapter one that Paul reminds Timothy of why he is there. Timothy's having a bit of an identity crisis. He's struggling with, with, with the role that he's been given. And, and Paul writes to him to call him back, to remind him, to give him a, a, a perspective of, of why he is there and what he is doing. Really what Paul is doing is taking Timothy and recognizing the struggle and the situation that he is in in Ephesus and lifting him up out of it and showing him, showing him the big picture of why he is there. And we saw last week that Paul reminds Timothy that he has been given a holy call. A holy call that is from Jesus himself. A holy call that is about Jesus and a holy call which is sustained by Jesus. And we saw last week that actually for those of us who are gods, for those of us who are saved, we too have been given a holy call. We are ministers of the gospel. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are are part of what one Peter calls a kingdom of priests. And a kingdom of priests Priests, ministers, ambassadors don't just kind of sit in a room and, 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 and just watch the world go by. No, we're out there. We're taking the mission that God has given us to show his glory to the world around us. And we go and we proclaim that to the world. That is what Timothy is called to. And that is what we are called to as ministers, ambassadors, as priests in God's kingdom. But what we saw last week is that Timothy is, is getting consumed by the events in Ephesus. He's, he's getting bogged down by, he's getting distracted. He's beginning to struggle. He's beginning to feel the weight of, of this specific calling that he's been given by Paul to go and strengthen the church and to refute the error, refute the heresy that is flowing through the church. He's in a difficult spot and he's running the risk of being distracted from his holy calling being distracted from his calling as a witness, as an ambassador, ambassador, as a priest in God's kingdom. He is struggling with his specific calling, which is distracting him from the big picture, which is the glory of God. Didn't we see that last week in chapter one? God was all over chapter one, wasn't he? 22 times we said that God is referenced. So Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, but really, Paul is reminding Timothy that this is all about Jesus. This is all about God. The job that Timothy has been given is all about God, is all about putting the glory of God on display, the glory of God being just the fullness of his character. But the circumstances are closing in on him. His eyes are being drawn away from the mission and the glory of God. It's interesting that that doesn't just happen to Timothy, does it? That happens to every single one of us. 
Every single one of us struggle with the circumstances of life. Every single one of us struggle with, with the things that are going on around us. Every single one of us are confronted with issues day by day, which, which have, have the possibility of distracting us and drawing us away from, from our holy calling. Whether that's kind of just, just the, the difficulty of life and work and family or whether it's sin. These things kind of come and they have the possibility to, to, to shift our focus away from the glory of God and to bring our focus down to the circumstances that surround us. And that is the same whether you are a believer or an unbeliever. If you're an unbeliever, you are wholly distracted from the glory of God. You are blind to it. You are blinded to it. If you are a believer, quite often the struggle of life descends on us. The circumstances of life close in and we miss who we are and we miss who God is in the midst of struggle. The Apostle Paul sees that with Timothy. He sees Timothy being consumed and so he comes alongside him. He writes him this letter out of care for Timothy, out of love for Timothy. You see that all over, don't you? There's just the way that, that he intimately relates to Timothy as his son. He writes him to care for him but also to refocus him to refocus Timothy on the mission that he has been given. We're going to see just in these couple of verses here, this is what Paul is trying to bring to Timothy's attention. He wants to show him that the grace of God strengthens us to live out our mission. The grace of God strengthens us to live out our mission. That's what we're going to see uh, this morning as, as we just work through uh, these couple of verses. What you see in, in these two verses is two instructions that Paul gives two instructions, two um, kind of imperatives towards Timothy. In verse one, look at verse one again. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So there's the first instruction that Paul gives. He says, be, be strengthened. The second instruction, verse two, and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The second instruction is to entrust to take what, what Timothy has heard from Paul and to give that to others so that they will then give that to other people after them. Two instructions that he gives, and I want us to see this morning, they are both connected. They are both connected. Paul is saying to Timothy, in light of the opposition that you are facing, let the grace of God strengthen you and take what you've heard from me and pass that on to other people. Don't let the opposition that you are in, don't let the struggle that you are in distract you from what God is doing. Allow the grace of God to, to come all over you and then carry on what you should be doing. Paul is a great witness to this, isn't he? So, so you think about what Paul is doing here, we saw this last week, where is Paul writing from? Prison. He's in the, in the middle of prison and not just kind of sitting there in his chains, but he knows that his execution is coming. We're going to see that in a couple of chapters. He knows that death is coming towards him. And what does he do? Kind of put his pen down and think, well, show's over, guys. That's kind of, this is pretty heavy stuff. You can't get heavier than being executed, to be fair. No. Paul isn't distracted from the glory of God. He isn't distracted from the mission which God has given him. He picks up his pen or maybe gets someone to write for him and writes this letter to Timothy to make sure that Timothy will stay the course. In the midst of struggle, in the midst of opposition, Paul gives us a great example of carrying on, of keeping on the course. He writes to Timothy to encourage him, to, to instruct him. 
I wonder if, if we were Paul, what we would do. If we were Paul sitting in jail, knowing that our execution was coming, what would be, what would be top of our mind? For Paul, it's writing to Timothy. It's kind of encouraging him, getting alongside him, instructing him. What, what, would be, what would be our kind of priorities? We're sitting there, probably malnourished, in a cold, wet jail with shackles around our feet and our hands, knowing the execution is coming. What would be, what would be the first thing on our mind? For Paul, it's, it's, he's just so zealous for the glory of God. That's what he wants. Even in his last days, his last weeks, what he wants is the glory of God to go out. He wants to strengthen the church. He wants to encourage his dear son in the faith. That's incredible, isn't it? Can you imagine being in that same circumstance and being able to respond like that? Being able to prioritize the glory of God and the mission of God. How does he do that? How does Paul do that? How does he respond like that? Well, Paul knows that he needs a supernatural strength to keep him going. He knows that there is strength needed for faithfulness in mission. And he knows that that strength, verse 1, comes from God. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul isn't distracted. He isn't losing his focus from the mission and the glory of God. He's being strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And he is reminding Timothy the same thing. Timothy, I want you to be strengthened by grace. By grace that is in Christ Jesus. That word strengthened there that you see in verse 1, it could be translated as empowered or enabled. Or specifically the Greek word is this, endunamo. And we came across that, that word a few weeks ago and we were looking at Romans 1.16. Dunamo or dynamis being power. Specifically, it means being strengthened inwardly. Being strengthened within. That's what Paul wants for Timothy. He wants him not just to be kind of strengthened physically or to kind of receive strength from Paul. He's saying, no, I want you to receive a, an inward strength. That word there that you read in Greek is only found in the Bible. So when you look at ancient Greek um, literature, you don't see that word being used anywhere else. There isn't a concept for inward strength anywhere other than in the Bible. Isn't that interesting? Paul's saying, I want you to be strengthened from within. You see that word kind of being used in other places in, in the Bible. You actually see in the Old Testament when the Old Testament was translated into Greek, you see this word being used again in Judges chapter 6, verse 34. And let me just read this to you. This is kind of the calling of Gideon. And just this one verse, which really just helps us understand what this means to be strengthened. It says this, but the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. It's the same word. To be strengthened from within and to be clothed. The picture here that Paul is kind of showing us here is that there is an inner strength that comes not from kind of out, outside factors, not from kind of human to human, but there is an inward strength that comes from being clothed by the Holy Spirit. Being clothed, being wrapped, being surrounded by the Spirit of God himself. Paul has shown us that the source of Timothy's strength is, is wholly independent of him. It comes from God. It comes from the Spirit of God himself. Paul is reminding Timothy that we cannot undertake supernatural ministry with natural strength. We need a supernatural strength which comes from God and God alone. What does Jesus say in John chapter 15 verse 5? Without me, you can do nothing. 
without Christ working within us, when we're thinking of the mission of God to extend his glory across the earth, without God working in us through the spirit of God, we can do nothing. We need to be strengthened from within. We need to be clothed with the Holy Spirit, wrapped with the Holy Spirit, empowered by God himself. And so Paul is saying, Timothy, in light of the opposition that you are facing and the apparent identity crisis and a moment of weakness that he is undergoing, in light of all that, be strengthened by grace. Be strengthened by grace. Be strengthened within by grace. Just take a moment just to focus in on that word. Grace. We sung about it this morning. Elizabeth read some um, kind of uh, words that help us understand what grace is. Grace, grace is the riches of God coming towards us. The riches of God being extended towards us who are wholly undeserving. There is not one person in history or to come who can stand before God and say, I deserve, I deserve what you are giving me. Jesus Christ is the only one who could ever stand up and say that he was deserving anything from God. And yet God in his mercy gives his children so much. We are given the riches of God. I want us just to understand quickly that when we talk about grace, because this is just kind of part of our Christian lingo, we talk about it so often. I want us just to understand what's going on here. There is a, a kind of past um, function of grace. There is a present function and there is a future function. So for those of us who were saved, there is, a, there is a time, a specific time when we were saved by grace. The, the, the goodness of God came towards us. And even though we were sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ came towards us and we received salvation. That is, the, that is grace. That is a free gift from God that we receive salvation from God. That, that has happened in the past. But there is grace that we receive here now in the present as well. Day by day, grace that we receive from God. There is a future grace that we receive. As we are glorified with God, there is a day coming when we will be with Jesus Christ as our Savior forever. We will be with God forever. But there is grace that we receive here and now. A present grace. And Paul is saying in verse 1, Timothy, I want you to, to receive this grace now. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strengthened. Remember we said before there is an instruction that comes to Timothy. The instruction here is be strengthened. But this is a a passive instruction. By that I mean there is nothing that kind of Timothy needs to do to receive this. This is something that is going to be done to Timothy. It's a passive verb. It isn't active. The active verb is going to come in in verse 2. But Paul is saying this is something that is going to come towards you. Timothy, receive this. Receive the grace of God. Receive grace that is coming to you. He's already said that in verse 1 of chapter 1. He's extended grace towards Timothy then and he's saying it now. Receive the grace of God in your inner being. Be strengthened from within by grace that comes from God. Again, just, just step back for a moment and just put yourself in Timothy's place. Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, my, my child... I want you to receive all the goodness that comes from God. I want you to receive the the, the riches of God in this moment. I want you to be strengthened from within by the goodness and mercy and love and, and peace. Everything that comes out of God, I want you to receive that right now. 
Imagine we have Timothy sitting there. And we've been sent to Ephesus to deal with this situation, to deal with these heretics, to deal with the opposition. And we start to go under. We start to struggle. We find we're not equipped to kind of, to kind of give a defense like we should do. Paul has given us this mandate to go and sort it out, and, and we can't. And then word comes, Paul's writing you a letter, Timothy. If that was me, I'd be thinking, oh no. What's he going to say? Is he going to kind of is he going to kind of say no, Timothy? You need to do this, this, and this, or is he going to kind of say, Timothy, you're doing this wrong? Is he going to kind of be critical? What does Timothy hear from Paul? My child, be strengthened by grace. That's what he has coming towards him. Paul's heart for Timothy here is that he would receive the grace of God. The reality is that all of us, much like Timothy, is given a job to do. All of us fail in so many ways. God, if we are saved, God has given us a job to do, to be his ambassadors, to be his ministers, to be a kingdom of priests in the world around us. And day, day after day, we fail. How does Christ see us? In our failure, how does he see us? He loves us and he extends grace towards us day after day. Grace upon grace is what he gives us. We receive what we don't deserve. Timothy is receiving here what he doesn't deserve. But that, that is what grace is. The riches of God to those who are wholly undeserved. And the specific aspect of God's grace that Timothy is to receive here is strength. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, I want you to receive the strength that is from God. I want you to receive the power of God. That's what you need right now. The power of God is coming towards Timothy. That is Paul's prayer and Paul's ask towards Timothy is that he receives the power of God. And just think about that for a moment. When we say the power of God, that, that's not just the kind of sentence that we throw away. The power of God, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. That's what, that's what Paul is, is encouraging towards Timothy right now. And just think about that, the power to raise someone from the dead. What sort of power is that? That is a supernatural power that this world has never seen. That is an incredible power. That is a force that no, no kind of human or, or power or principality or spiritual force can ever reckon against. The power of God that raised Christ from the dead. Not just that, the power of God which spoke everything that we see into existence. Don't kind of look around at the world, and we do this so often, but think about the stars and the moon and the sun and just think, wow, isn't that great? That is a picture of the power of God, and he holds it all together by the power of his word. And Paul is saying to Timothy, I want you to be strengthened by that power right now. Be strengthened by the power of God right now. But he doesn't end there. Remember, Paul is showing Timothy that he wants, he wants the, him to see that the grace of God strengthens us so that we can live out our mission. He wants Paul, he wants Timothy to, to receive the grace of God. He wants him to be strengthened, empowered by the grace of God, but, but he doesn't leave it there. He wants him to be strengthened so that he can live out the mission. We don't receive grace just to keep us ticking over. We receive inward strength from God, power of the Holy Spirit so that we can stay the course and advance the mission. If you are saved, we are not here just to receive grace and soak it in. 
We are saved from so many things. We are saved from a kingdom of darkness. We are saved from death. We are saved from the shackles of sin. But we are also saved to so many many things. And we are saved to good works. The Bible says that. We shouldn't kind of sit and think that all we do as believers once we are saved is receive from God and kind of just soak everything in that he gives us. Like we do do that. We receive so much from God, but God also asks us in response to what he has done to, to join with him, to partner with him in his mission to extend his glory across the world. And we've seen specifically over the last few weeks that the good works that he has called on us to is to proclaim the good news of God. He wants us to be people who herald the gospel, herald the good news of God. Let's read it again. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul is saying, receive the grace of God. And what you've heard from me in the presence of lots of other people, now give that to other faithful men and trust that to other faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's the second thing that, that, that Paul calls Timothy to. It's the second instruction that he gives. Take what you have heard and entrust it to others so that they will pass it on. I want us just to see quickly, Paul is, is saying that he wants, he wants something to be passed on so others will be able to teach. And he's calling Timothy's mind back to a time when, when Timothy was being taught by Paul <coughs> in the presence of other people. And he's saying, whatever you heard me teach, now pass that on to others. And, and so that they can pass that on to others and teach others also. What is it that Paul taught Timothy? Well, if you look back at chapter 1. Look back at chapter 1. We're just going to read a few verses together, starting in verse 8. And as we read this, see if you can pick out what is it that Paul taught Timothy. What is the teaching that he is asking him to take and entrust to others so that they would then take it and entrust to others after them? Verse 8, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard me until the day, until that day, what has been entrusted to me. What is it that Paul taught Timothy? It was the gospel. You see that in verse 10, he kind of gives us a really brief summary of the gospel. Jesus Christ comes, he abolishes death, he brings life through his resurrection and immortality to light through the gospel. And it is that that he was appointed a preacher, apostle and teacher. That is what Timothy has been taught. That is the great teaching which has been passed on from Paul to Timothy. And now Paul is saying to Timothy, now give that and trust that to other faithful men. The teaching is the gospel. And we see it again through chapter one. And if you did read uh, the first letter to Timothy, you'll see that in there as well in chapter six. The way that, that Paul describes the gospel being given to us. He describes it as a deposit. 
See that in verse 14 of chapter 1. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. He sees the gospel as something which is given to believers, deposited into believers, and given to them to entrust. The word deposit kind of brings to mind um, financial stewardship. What we would do with money, we would deposit in a bank. The word entrust there in verse 14, and again in our passage in verse uh, 2, that word entrust again is a banking term. It is to kind of give something to someone else, not to give it away, but to give it to someone to care, to steward, to use. And Paul is saying, deposit the good deposit. Deposit the gospel to faithful men. Teach other men the gospel so that they can teach other men the gospel. And that word entrust in verse 2, it is an active verb. It is an active imperative. There is urgency that comes behind it. Paul is saying, Timothy, pass it on. The gospel which has been deposited in you, don't, don't hold on to it. Pass it on. Pass it on to faithful people around you and, and teach them to pass it on themselves. The best remedy for the heresy in Ephesus is the truth of God. That's what Paul sees here. That, and Paul could kind of come alongside Timothy and say, okay, Timothy, we're going to do a crash course on how you defend and refute heresy. You've got to do this kind of list of one to a hundred things. No, what Paul says is, take the gospel which has been given to you and, and pass it on to many others. If we want to refute heresy, if we want to ground people in the truth, ground them in the truth. Deposit the good deposit to faithful men and trust it to others and have them to pass it on to others. How does that apply to us? Thankfully, as far as I'm aware, there's no heretics in our church. So, so uh, you know, how does this kind of relate to us? Well, this is just what disciples do. We're not just disciples we are disciples who make disciples in fact jesus says teach in matthew 28 doesn't he when he gives us the great commission he calls us to go and teach not just to make disciples but to teach them in his ways and if you think if you're a believer you are here because someone else has proclaimed the gospel to you someone else has entrusted the good deposit which they had to you, they have taken it and not kind of left it to themselves and kind of guarded it away, but they have taken the good deposit and deposited it to you. And so what do we do with that deposit? Do we, do we keep it to ourselves? Or do we see that the grace of God strengthens us to live out our mission? grace of God doesn't just come to us just to kind of strengthen us in the moment so that we will be strong people. It strengthens us with a purpose. God is about glorifying God. God is about extending his name and fame across the globe. What we see here is that he strengthens his church so that we can live out the mission, so that we can be disciples who make disciples. Disciples who teach others to teach others to teach others the gospel. I wonder whether we struggle with that. I wonder whether we struggle to live out that mission. I wonder whether we kind of hear that call to, to kind of deposit the good deposit into others. And we think, there's no one around me who, who I'm even engaging with. Who can I teach? Who can I kind of pass this on to? Who, who can I entrust? 
If that is the case, can I encourage you? Pray for the grace of God to strengthen you. Pray for the grace of God to come to you now in this moment and strengthen you. Inwardly strengthen you with his power. Power that would cause you to be someone who takes the good deposit and deposits it to other people around you. Secondly, put your place in a place where you can share it. Listen to what Paul says in verse 2. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Paul placed himself into, into places where people would hear the gospel. He positioned himself in places. You see this whenever he lands in a city. What is first on his mind usually first goes to, to the synagogue or to the places where the Jews surround. And then he goes to, to house to house. But he is all about putting himself in places where the gospel will be heard. So first pray for the grace of God to strengthen you. And then secondly think strategically. Where can I go to be someone where the gospel is heard? And you might already be in those places, in your homes, in your workplaces, on the phone to your parents or your children. But think, where can I be a witness? Where can I deposit this good deposit into the people around? Thirdly, when you kind of think of these people, if you have people in your life where you're doing this already, Aim to teach them to teach. The goal is disciples, folks, not converts. The goal is to make disciples who make disciples. And so with the people that we are walking with or the people that we're praying for, speak to them in a way and communicate the gospel to them in a way where they are able to communicate that to others and pass it on. Aim to teach them to teach others. Think about this in terms of of passing on this good deposit. Let me just kind of share share this bit of um, history with you um, of how this works practically. uh, 1879, there was um, an evangelist uh, called D.L. Moody. You might have heard of him. And he was kind of touring uh, the UK um, with these different uh, um, uh, kind of evangelistic meetings. And a man called F.B. Meyer was sitting in one of these meetings, heard the gospel and was saved. He becomes a pastor of a, of a, a small church um, in the UK. He, he travels over to the, yeah, the United States and he's preaching in a college campus in the early 1900s. A student is sitting there, he's an unbeliever, a student called uh, Wilbur Chapman. Um, he hears the gospel and he's saved. Wilbur goes on and he works with the YMCA and, and he employs a former baseball player called Billy Sunday, which is, you have to be in church if that's your name, called Billy Sunday. Um, he's an evangelist and he comes and kind of does this evangelistic talk and, and it stares the hearts of the young men in, in this church who then plan to, to do a big evangelistic campaign. So they roll out this evangelistic campaign and they bring in a preacher called Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham is, is preaching the gospel and this young man uh, called William Graham hears the gospel, later to be called Billy Graham. Billy Graham is a young man, hears the gospel and he's saved. Billy Graham comes to Liverpool 1984 in Anfield, shares the gospel. And my dad is sitting there, an unbeliever, next to my mom who's recently saved. And my dad hears the gospel. 
about 20 years ago, I'm sitting on my mum and dad's bed with my dad. My dad shares the gospel with me and I'm saved. All the way back to D.L. Moody, I can kind of trace a bit of a, a passing on of the gospel. Passed on to F.B. Meyer, passed on to Wilbur Chapman, passed on to Billy Sunday, passed on to Billy Gray himself, passed on to my dad and passed on to me. And by the grace of God, I hope will be passed on to many others. Men and women who are involved in my story as well, who have received the good deposit and passed it on to others, but also as they pass it on, have communicated it in such a way that they're able to pass it on to other people around them. The goal for these men and women was disciples, not converts. So pray for the grace of God to strengthen us. Put ourselves in places where we can share. Aim to teach them to teach, but also we should be ready for rejection. Those men that I just listed out out there, I'm sure there were hundreds, if not thousands of people that they shared the gospel with who rejected it. We saw it last week, didn't we, with Phygelus and Hermogenes. These are two men who were right by the side of Paul and deserted him, rejected him. As God strengthens us to live out our mission, we should be ready for rejection. Praying that all would hear and receive, but knowing that some won't. Finally, we should ask God for a gospel legacy. Pray to God for a gospel legacy. I wonder what is at the forefront of your mind? What is the big thing that you pray for as you leave this place in years to come? What is the thing that you want to leave behind? Is it a house? Is it, is it kind of money for your kids? Is it a reputation with the great work that you are doing? Or could it be a legacy that is rooted in the gospel? Paul has a kind of, he's doing something here in chapter one. He's, he's kind of calling Timothy back. Remember, remember what's come before. Remember back at the start of chapter one and he casts his mind back to his mother and his grandmother. And he shows a bit of a gospel legacy there that as, as Timothy's grandmother had sincere faith and, and probably passed that down to, to his mother Eunice. She had a faith. And then his mother Eunice passed that down to Timothy. He's kind of showing Timothy a picture of gospel legacy here. And again, in verse two, he's saying, take what you have heard from me, pass it on to others so that they will pass it on to others. That's what Paul wants for Timothy, a legacy of the gospel. That is what Paul leaves behind. The best thing that we can leave behind, folks, is not a bank account, it's not a house, it's not a reputation. It is a legacy for the gospel of people who've been won for Christ. That is what we'll endure. Elizabeth and I were at a funeral yesterday. Elizabeth's cousin passed away and she was um, 70, 76. So she'd lived, lived a life and she was a humble uh, little lady uh, who lived an ordinary life. She was a social worker um, and did some kind of work in prisons. And do you know what was so moving? It was a celebration. She was a, a born again believer. It was a celebration of her life. What was so moving was um, in the funeral, they, they got different people to come up and just share their experiences of Betty. And what was really apparent about what Betty had left behind was a true legacy for the gospel. Men getting up who, who, who work with offenders in prison, offenders writing letters, just saying how their lives have been transformed by Betty just coming along and visiting them, getting alongside them, reading the Bible with them. It was a beautiful um, um, uh, kind of moment where one of Betty's friends got up. Uh, she was an unbeliever 10 years ago. Betty got alongside her 
just read the Bible with her, shared the gospel with her. And then, and then her husband became a believer through Betty's ministry through this lady. Her family were getting up, some of whom have walked away from the faith, but Betty has, has kind of remained faithful on the course, prayed with them, and they've come back to Jesus. Just countless people getting up and just exalting Jesus because of the witness of Betty of the gospel in their lives. Betty will one day be forgotten. But the legacy that she has left behind will not. As people take the gospel and pass it on. And then they leave a legacy behind them. Folks, we should pray for this and pray for this often. That God would give us a gospel legacy. That should be our prayer for those of us who have children. That should be our prayer. Not that God would just save our kids, but that as we deposit the good deposit into them, that they will pass it on to those around them. That should be our prayer. We should pray like that. Not that God would create converts and just converts in and around Lark Lane, but he would create disciples who make disciples who make disciples. So that one day the glory of the Lord would cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. The grace of God strengthens us, which is a beautiful truth. But it strengthens us so that we can live out our mission. The beautiful mission that God has sent us on to be his ambassadors, his ministers, priests in his kingdom, telling the world the good news of who he is, what he's done, and what he can do in their lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for those of us who are saved. It is truly good news. Father, we pray for those who, who are blind to it, who are blind to your glory, who are blind to their desperate need for a saviour. Heavenly Father, we pray even now that you would open their eyes men and women who are walking past this place, who are around about us in this community, men and women across this country, across this world, who are blind, spiritually blind, we pray that, Holy Spirit, you would you'd remove that blindness and give them faith to believe. And Father, we thank you that you have called us, your church, into that mission. We thank you that you've entrusted us, you've, you've placed in us a deposit of the gospel, not to hold to ourselves, but to pass on to others. Help us to do that. Help us to be faithful with the good gift that you've given us. Help us to know our, our limitations in, 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 our, in our flesh, that we are so limited in what we can do. Help us to wholly depend on you in that work. I pray that your Holy Spirit would strengthen us. Right now, Holy Spirit, would you strengthen us with grace that comes from Christ Jesus? Would you empower us for the mission? Would you remind us of the great grace which we have received in our salvation and the grace which we receive every day, the loving kindness which comes towards us every day? But specifically, would you give us, would you give us the power of God to live out the mission that you've called us into? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the faithful men and women who have gone before us, who have taken the good deposit and passed it on to us. We recognize that as we engage in your mission that many will receive it and many will reject it. Help us not to lose heart. But help us to hold fast. Help us to endure. 
That was to run the race well. And Heavenly Father, we pray for a gospel legacy. We pray that on our last day that we would be able to look back and see your hand at work. That we will have been faithful to your mission. That we will have passed on the good deposit of the gospel to those around us. That is what we pray for, Heavenly Father. A legacy which points towards you, not towards us. We pray that we would decrease as you increase. We pray that people as they look at our lives would see you at work. We pray the thing that we leave behind would be a legacy that endures for all eternity. That moth and rust can't destroy. So Father, we thank you that we have a beautiful truth to to proclaim. And this meal that we are about to take now, I pray that that would just cause our hearts to worship. To remember the gospel. Remember what we have been saved from and saved to. We pray this meal would empower us as well. Remind us of what you've called us into. So Father, we pray all these things in your name for your glory alone. Amen. Amen. Folks, as we take this meal, this is a time for us to reflect on the gospel. The gospel that we just read in, in chapter one. The truth that death has been abolished. If we are sitting here as believers this morning, death has no hold on us. Physically, our bodies will be taken away, but there will be something that endures for all eternity. One day we will be with him that our faith will be turned into sight. As we take this meal, remember the gospel, remember and reflect on who we once were. God has saved us from a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. He saved us from death into life. As we take this meal, we remember who we are now, that we are recipients of the grace and mercy and love of God. As we take this meal now, we remember and reflect on our sins. Even now as we sit as people who are saved, we still struggle with sin. Wherever each one of our sins, we can hear the words. Forgiven. Redeemed. Ransomed. So as we take this meal, we remember Jesus' body as it was broken for us. We remember his blood that was shed for forgiveness of our sins. What I'd encourage us to do is just take a few moments to sit where we are, just to reflect, to confess of our sin. To remember that we have received forgiveness for our sins. And as we do that, as we remember the gospel, to celebrate that. To celebrate the truth of the gospel that we have been transferred from one kingdom into another. And take this meal as a call to arms almost. As we gather around this meal, this is a meal that his body gets to enjoy together. A body that is advancing. A body that has given a mission. A body that partners with the Spirit of God as he, as he empowers us, strengthens us in the blue. So celebrate this. Ask for God. Pray to God now that he will give you everything that you need to walk faithfully with him in his mission. And take this meal as a moment to care for the body as well. If you want to kind of share this meal with someone and get alongside someone and pray with them, please do that. You can either take uh, the bread to where you're sitting or come and share it together at the front. But let me just give thanks for the bread and the juice and the wine. And when you're ready, uh, come up and take it.
Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. We thank you for your perfect life. We thank you for the countless ways that you showed us a better way to live. We thank you for the, the pain and the suffering that you endured on the cross in our place as we fail to live that life. Jesus, we're sorry. We're sorry for the sins that we have engaged in this week, even this day. But we praise you and worship you and glorify you and thank you. We are sinners who are saved, saved by grace. That sin has no hold on us. Death has no hold on us. Satan has no hold on us because you rose three days later and defeated death. Defeated Satan and defeated our sin. And we thank you that through your resurrection we have been given life. Life eternal, but life here and now as well. As we take this meal and we reflect on our sin and we repent and confess, we also celebrate the truth of the gospel that we have been won. That you've claimed us as your own. We thank you that you've left us with your spirit. He dwells within us. He comforts us in our weakness. He strengthens us. He encourages us towards good works. We thank you for the gift of your spirit, your word, and we thank you for the gift of each other, your church as well. As we take this meal, would you just give us discernment if there's any one of us who that needs comforting and prayer, would you draw us to each other this morning so we can share this meal in celebration and encouraging each other as we look forward to the day when you will return. For until then, Jesus, we worship you. We thank you for all that you are doing now. We thank you for this meal and all that it causes us to remember. And it's in your name that we pray.